This is Joe Basso from Music Radar, the place for music makers, and I'm speaking with Sammy Hagar. Sammy, who needs no introduction at all. Sammy, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. But, Joe, why why don't you say I don't need an introduction? Everyone needs an introduction. Like, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Beatles. I mean, you know, (laughs) everybody needs an introduction. I'll take take it as a compliment. I'm happy. What I mean is everybody knows what you've done, your songs, your career, you know. Yeah, it's probably true. Yeah. And probably if everyone knew everything I've done, though, that, <laughs> that might be a different type of introduction. Well, well, maybe, well, maybe, well, well maybe we'll get into that. Yeah, well, dig, brother. I'm I'm pretty honest guy. I think everybody knows that. So you have a new solo album coming out called Cosmic Universal Fashion. Yeah. And you know, it's it's uh, just to go off on it for a second. It's the it's the wackiest way I've ever made a record in my life. I you know normally you you decide okay I'm going to set these months aside. We're going to get you know go in and either write or or start recording a CD. You know it's you know in every band I've ever been in. So uh, you, you plan it. This thing wasn't planned. It's, I, I've been writing songs ever since I built my own studio. I, I've been like just experimenting with songs, you know, and I'll, I'll get the band. I'll say, everybody meet at the studio on Tuesday, and we're gonna we're gonna work on this new idea I have. And then, you know, so we just put it down. You know, we put it down in demo form, demo form, demo form. And then I like it, and we spiff it up. Sometimes we play them live. And this record has was been has been recorded over the last God, five, six, seven years that way. You know, even the other CDs I made, some of these songs were. Uh, laying in the side, uh, and and I just brought them back up and and listened to them and went wow because I, most of the songs in here are experimental. This is what I'm, I guess this is what I'm trying to say. They were experiments. They weren't like writing for a Sammy Hagar record. I was saying I want to experiment with some music like two four three six five or when the sun don't shine or or switch on the light. I mean those as you can tell those are experiments, you know. And when I went back and listened to them for where I'm at in my life today, I'm going. I like this kind of music. I, I love what I was trying to do back then, and I just spiffed it up, and and I ended up with a record. I, I'm we're a CD. I'm I'm just I'm shocked still. Well, it is very different from what you've done in the past, particularly the title cut, Cosmic Universal Fashion, which I understand came to you. the The music track came from uh, an Iraqi musician named Stephen Lost. Is that correct? Yeah, and uh, he sent me five songs. Through Miles Copeland, you know the guy who's managed to police Stewart's brother, and uh, and he said, "Hey, you interested in you know hearing this music? This guy was trying to get a hold of you." And I said, "Absolutely." You know, I mean, sounds like might have some inspiration in there. You know, something something different. And when I heard it, I was just blown away. And that song stood out. I was really busy at the time, and I and I kind of made the time to run in and finish that song, write the lyrics, and and do the vocal on it and stuff, and kind of rearrange it because it was. Um, kind of a strange arrangement originally all them parts weren't kind of in that order if you know what i mean right i had to make uh, a repeat chorus they were just a bunch of parts and so it was kind of difficult but at the same time i got so inspired i did it uh if i had more time there was a couple more songs that i would, wouldn't have mind doing but um i just didn't have time but i love the way it came out and i'm just loving it it's the most unique thing i've ever done it know? really is and you know you did add lyrical elements uh from the Van Halen track right now. Yeah. And of course you kind of revisited the video in a way. Yeah, the reason I think all that came about was because when I heard the music uh, after I started, you know, working on a melody and stuff, it started feeling so world beat to me. It started feeling like this song is about the world. You know, being an Iraqi 
a musician and here I'm an American guy and, and we're at war, you know, the fact that two musicians can get together and do something good, it, it, it kind of brought out a statement out of me saying, you know, we need to get this world together, you know. It's like here here this guy I never even met, you know, and, and and we're we're getting along just fine. Well why can't the two countries get along? Why can't the governments get along? You know. So I started thinking in a worldly manner like that and and then it reminded me of the whole right now thing about, you know, right now we need change. You know, right now we're in a in a major crossroads in the world and in in the, in the politics and in the uh, ecology and, and economics, everything, man, we're like totally at a crossroads. We're either gonna crumble or get it together fast so i figured it was just time for that statement again and you know the words right now are so timeless you could do this a hundred years now a hundred years ago say right now is the time to take you know control and and right now is the time to start doing things don't wait till tomorrow don't wait for someone else to do it so it's really kind of the same statement and uh and i just loved it it just was so inspiring a very very inspiring time for me on a different note on the record, you have a track called Loud. Michael Anthony plays bass, but you also have Billy Duffy from The Cult and Matt Sorum. And it is just one of the most fun, rocking cuts I've heard in a long time. What was it like to work with that, that group of people? Uh, it was so cool. When uh, This guy named John Eddy, he's a wonderful songwriter. He, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, he wrote uh, some songs for Kid Rock, I think, on his last record. And, and, and John Eddy, is, is, he wrote this song for me. He goes, you know, I wrote this song about you. He, had, he opened a show for me in, uh, a few years ago in Las Vegas. I'd never met him, and we got to be kind of buddies. I, I really liked his songwriting style. And he, uh, he, he, said, I, he calls and said, I wrote this song for you. I don't know what you're going to think of it. I said, well, send it. And I heard it, and I'm going, what do you mean you wrote this? I wrote this song. <laughs> you know, I wrote that song about, you know, it sounds so much like a Sammy song, you know. Right. I mean, no one's even going to believe someone wrote that song other than me, you know. And uh, I just thought it was so on the money. But, it, it, you know, one of my favorite bands of all time is the cult. You know, I love Love Removal Machine. And, and uh, I thought this song could sound like that, because John Eddy wrote it kind of almost country. It was mm. more like uh, wow. my countryside, you know. And I thought, no, no. So I got these guys, and, and we got together. You know, the, all these guys have been jammed with me in Cabo 152,000 times every year. So they came up, and we spent a couple of days and knocked it out. And I'm in love with that song, too. You know, it's the only song that the first time we played it live, we, we played it live once. Mm -hmm. And when we played it, it was in between Heavy Metal and I Can't Drive 55. And I'm telling you right now, it held its own. A brand new song with two of my ultimate classics that song the people in the audience were practically singing along it, it just seemed so fit it's just such a great great fit for my classic side of my rock you know and no, absolutely uh, yeah i'm loving the song if there's a, if there's such a thing in this day and uh, as a uh, rock and roll hit single it's one <laughs> no it, it definitely kicks up the dust in all the right ways as does a song called psycho vertigo in which uh, your friend Neil shown appears yeah, Neil Dean, uh, you know Dean uh, and and Michael Anthony. That was going to be Planet Us, and I found that dusted that out of the basements too, out of the archives. You know, when I had my studio in my house, we all got together over here and we're trying to write a couple songs, and we wrote that song and people threw a hole. We only had two songs in Planet Us, and that were finished, and we recorded them at my house. Uh, of course, at that time, that's when the Van Halen reunion, the Van Hagar reunion, was coming. And no, I couldn't tell anyone. 
So I was going forward with these guys as if we were going to do a band because I wanted to. I thought I loved what we were doing. Right. Uh, but I knew the Van Halen thing was inevitable, and as soon as it, as soon as it was, I was able to tell him I had to stop that project, and it was really, really a, a shame. Neil, I, st- I just got a message on my machine last week from Neil about it, saying, "Yeah, you know, you asshole, we could have, you know, had those, you know, that band planted us, and but you had to go up Van Halen, and then you sold your tequila company for all that money. You didn't need the money." I said, "Neil, I never needed the money." <laughs> I had to do the Van Halen reunion. I had to. That's just one of those things in history that if it never happened, I would always feel a void. So I had to go do that. And and at the sacrifice of Planet Us. But when I heard those two songs, I re- it was, they were so good. I said, man, I mean, this stuff has got to see the light of day. So I called Neil and Dean and said, you guys cool with me putting them on my record? They said, yeah, better than having it just sitting around doing nothing. I do want to talk to you about the new band, but you mentioned Van Halen, so I, I do have to ask. Gee, who, go figure. <laughs> yeah, strange, right? Yeah. What was the final break with Eddie? What was the final straw? Well, you mean not the first time. You're talking about this, this reunion? The reunion, and then, you know. Then well, the first time, it was just that uh, we got to a point, I guess a simple way to put it, because, you know, I kind of don't remember what happened anymore, you know? It's like, God, there's so much have happened since then. That's important. That That's not important to me anymore. But, but one of the things was that it got to the point where I was kind of the leader of that band. People don't realize it. You know, Van Hagar, Eddie was a humble, very, you know, meek guy. He didn't want it. You know, if anyone asked him, what time do you want to rehearse tomorrow? He'd say, look at me and say, I don't know what time you want to do it. And I'd say, oh, like two. Okay, two. It was just that kind of a deal. You know, Ed was not a leader at all. He just the greatest guitar player in the world, but not a leader. So I was always handed that job in the band. You know, I brought my manager in, Ed Leffler, when I joined the band. He came in. He was making the business decisions. I was making all the little decisions. What time, when we were going to go out, when we were going to make a record. You know, what, you know, Alex would and I would converse what kind of cover it was going to be, you know. Uh, I would write the song, you know, the lyrics and the music, the the, um, the words and everything. And Eddie was just happy to be in there playing guitar, playing piano, and I'd write the songs with him, you know. And all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but he woke up one morning and thought that he wants his band back, like I was taking over his band and that I was just the bad guy. And I don't know how this happened, but I think someone poisoned him. You know, quite honestly, that happens in, in people when you're famous and rich and powerful. You, and some guy sees a guy like Eddie and going, man, this guy's letting everybody get away with this or get away with that. I wasn't getting away with nothing. I thought I was doing a good job of keeping a band together, you know. And all of a sudden, if I said, okay, 2 o'clock, Eddie, go, no, no, I want to do it at noon. I'd go, okay, fine, we'll do it at noon. Well, well I don't know, well, 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 what, well, you know what time do you want to do it? Uh, Al, I would say, ah, I don't care, noon, 2 o'clock, Eddie, go, uh, okay, one then. You know, it was just like, man, this guy just wants, he doesn't care if it's right or wrong. Now, he just you... wants to say whatever I say, no, and he wants to say, I say, I want the album cover black. He'd go, no, no, I want it white. I'd say, okay, white. And he'd go, no, no, I want it black. You know, it, it, that's, that's, that's what happened to the band. Now, do you think it was substance abuse? Oh, of course. I mean, that's part of it. You know, shoot, everybody knows that. But, <laughs> but you know, not just that, because there was always substance in that band you know everybody drank and did this and did that you know it was you know we had we had a pretty good time in that band i mean i 
probably maybe less than most of the people. Mikey and I were kind of, and then Alex went completely sober, and there was a time when Eddie was the only guy that was really out there. But I don't think that was totally it. I really think someone came in, like, you know, uh, our, when Leffler died and we got our new manager. I hate to even say his name. Yeah. That's why I really feel in my gut that he had a lot to do with poisoning Eddie because he fi- he... He knew he couldn't control me because I was too smart for him to, you know, tell, trick me into something. But Eddie was so vulnerable because he never cared about business and he never paid attention to, you know, how much money there was or, or how much power we had or anything. Eddie just wanted to play music and, and that's when he was at his best too. And this guy came in and thought, well, I'll get to Eddie. And when I left that band for your information, the guy became an equal partner in the band, in the name Van Halen. And they had to sue him to get it back years later when they realized what they did. Now, if I'd have been in that band, that guy would have never got, you know, been a, a, a co-owner of that band like we all were, you know? Right, he right. just walked into it, and they let him do it because Eddie didn't know about those kind of things. You know, I'm sure he's smarter than that now, but at that time, he was vulnerable because he had never made those. We had a manager like Ed Leffer who made every business decision for us, and they were all excellent. And he was my friend and my manager as well before that. And so him and I were close, and I learned a lot of those things from him. I would have never let that happen. And that's why I got thrown out of the band, I think, is because I think he came in, saw that he couldn't get away with doing anything like that as long as I was around, so they got rid of me. Let's talk about the new band, which uh, we... we sure. Let me wipe my brow first. Hold yes. on here. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which we... Joe, you took me down that road again. Oh, you well, got me you all know. fired up. Okay, well, let's the talk new about band the... is very much like a Van Halen type band. Which, you know? which wait, before, before you say anything more, <laughs> can we or can we not call it Chicken Foot? What we are we calling this call band? We call it Chicken Foot until we have our, our, our name etched in stone. Right now we have about... Three or four other names that we really like. Chickenfoot is our code name. Chickenfoot is Chad, myself, and Mikey when we're jamming in Cabo every year at the birthday bash. That's Chickenfoot. How did this okay. band come together? Well, we were, Chad and Mike and myself had been playing in Cabo every year and every New Year's Eve and four or five times a year we'd go down there together and just go to the ca- cantina and, and play. And we were such a good jam band. I mean, we'd go from James Brown to Led Zeppelin, you know. I mean, that's quite the jump from cold sweat to, to a whole lot of love, you know? And uh, we just thought, wow, we, this is so much fun. We enjoyed each other so much. And it got to the point where when I would play, I'd go and do like three days, three nights in Houston or something. Chad would fly out and Mike would fly out and we'd do it there too. We'd do it uh, during my Wabo shows, you know? And we did it in Vegas and we'd do it in Tahoe and we did it, you know, we started doing it all over the place. And we thought, and I said, you know, you guys, I. If, if we're going to continue this little chicken foot band, I need to get another guitar player because I can't play and sing as good as Chad can play drums and as good as Mike can play bass. You know, I'm going. I, I'm, I'm the weak link here. You know, because I'm strapped to playing guitar and singing, so I didn't feel I was cutting it. At once we started really getting good, you know, and we never rehearsed or anything, but I mean, just we just start getting good, you know. So how did and, Joe Satriani come into the picture? Well, I thought. Well, who's who's on the level of Chad's drumming and Mikey's bass playing and singing? And I thought, there's only one guy. It's smoking Joe Satriani, man. I think Joe's the best guitar player in the world today in a rock world. I mean, I mean that. I'm not just saying because I'm working with him. That's why we went to Joe. We thought, who's the best? You know, there's Steve Vai. There's Eric Johnson. There's, you know, there's Eddie Van Halen. There's uh, Joe Satriani. And 
couple more guys, and quite honestly, Joe's the best. He he, he taught half of them, right? So you so, sought him out. Yeah, I and Joe had been Joe and I had been talking here and there about things every now and then. I'd run into Joe, and I just really liked him because he was so musical and had so much taste and was such a nice guy. He's yeah. not a rock star type, you know. No. And no ego, not trying to bump heads and hey, I sold more records than you. Or we didn't, we never went in those that feeling. It was always just heartfelt. You know, I love this music. I love that music. And hey, I heard your new song. I love it. It's great. It, you know, it was always very, very, you know, coexisting really, really well. So I, I said, I'm calling him, man. So I called Joe, and he showed up. And I just got to tell you, man, the first time we got together, him and I, Joe and I wrote four songs, and the next day wrote four more. And in two days, we wrote eight songs, got together with the band in, for two days, and recorded, demoed out eight songs. I don't know, man. It's just, it's so magical. I have never seen chemistry like this in my life. What and, is, I mean, Van Halen had really good chemistry when I first joined that band, so don't get me wrong. I've seen good chemistry. Montrose, when we first started, had excellent chemistry, too. But this chemistry is on such a high level, and I just can't tell you, it's... Everything Joe plays me inspires the crap out of me. And the second I start singing it back to him, he's going, oh, man, I would have never thought of that. No, I was thinking it would be, oh, man, it's so much better. Oh, you know, we just have that bang, 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 bang. You're just completely outdoing each other over and over again. I'll have you know he says the same about you. He's, he's told me that working with you is just completely inspirational, and he's just knocked out by your vision and your enthusiasm. But, but tell me what... To you, what is different about working with Joe than Eddie Van Halen? Well, I, I really hate to compare those two guys because but we in are some talking ways about two of the similar, most they're similar genius. But we are talking know? about two of the most accomplished guitarists in the world. Exactly, their their musicianship individually is on the highest possible level, but they're different creatures. With Eddie, he took a long time to work out parts and to come up with songs. Like you know, by the time Eddie and Al got the music together on a song that we were working on i was i was done with my lyrics and melody i was off in cabo for two weeks vacationing and they'd call me and say hey we we got the song cut you know and it'd be two weeks later i'd fly back and go into a vocal and they'd start another one i'd hear the music and i'd say okay i think it's gonna be blah 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 and i'd start writing some melodies i'd finish my lyrics, go back to cabo i mean it was it was honestly it took us a year to make foreign lawful corner launch and writing and recording one song at a time I went back and forth for a year. So Joe is like, I call up Joe at you know, 10 o'clock at night on Tuesday, and I go, Joe, I got this idea. What if we wrote this song about blah, 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 and you do this like acoustic thing, maybe acoustic weird tuning, and, uh, you know, and, and we'll, we'll do this song that's kind of like uh, going to California by Zeppelin or something. You know what I mean? That kind of a song. And he go, yeah, 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 yeah. The next day. Uh, meets me at noon over this place. He's got the whole damn thing done musically, and now I'm going shit. You know, I <laughs> I got to find lyrics and melody. I mean, Joe's so far ahead of me. He's so accomplished as a musician. He's so fast. As soon as he gets an inspiration, he can go from head to toe and finish it. And he he blows my mind. He's the quickest, most accomplished musician I've ever seen in my life. So that's the difference about the way we're doing. We're on a rocket ship, man. I can't, I can't keep up, keep up with these guys. I've got two lyrics. I'm behind two lyrics on the ten songs we just uh, demoed out. What's interesting is Joe has been waiting a long time to put a vocal band together, and 
you have been in many vocal bands. Did you envision joining, uh, forming a new band at this point in your career? No, I didn't. I, I thought about it over and over again because the Wobbles are so special that we've tried to add new musicians to that band. You know, I've all, often thought about hitting on a guy like Joe or somebody, you know, to join our band, you know, with Vic, because Vic's such a great guitar player, and, and I think he deserves another guitar player, or another musician, you know, mm -hmm. so that he doesn't have to hold the fort down so hard, because I don't like to play guitar all the time. And, you know, my band is so special, but I've tried every... <laughs> you can't believe how many people I've tried to get in this band and try them out, and they come and they try out, and we play, and say, oh, it's good, and then pretty soon you're going, we always... We turn left or turn right somewhere, and they, we lose them because this band, the, the Wobbles, are so loose and so free. We're like the dead, you know. We're like, you know, you can't just bring anybody in here, you know. We're we're too friggin' family, you know. So I thought about putting together a new kind of band because I'm I'm I love the Wobbles and all that, but you know, it, to me, it's like I'm it's a it's a solo career, and being in a band where you got a guy. That, like Joe that's as creative as Joe and a, a guy like that's as strong and powerful as Chad. He's the most powerful drummer I've ever played with. I mean, pure, raw power. And, you know, Mike, we all, I don't have to hide Mike for two seconds. It's, if you talked about top five rock bass players in history, Mike's got to be one of them. Now, what's the know? story with Chad? Is he in the Chili Peppers? Is, is oh, he... yeah, Chad's totally in the Chili Peppers. That's the only problem with this band, you know, is that things could interfere if the chili peppers all of a sudden decided to go back in the studio and start recording chad's got to go do that you don't quit a band that's as big as they are in the world i mean they're one of the biggest bands in the world so you know it's it's really a little uncomfortable but we're we're just looking for the holes you know we're all pretty established we don't have to go out and make money like oh man hey we got to do this we need money or we got to do this you know so we're in a really good position but so the idea of putting a band together like this was after Chickenfoot, after jamming with those guys and feeling the power of other musicians, you know, like say the Wobbles, we've been together 14 years, so we're kind of like, we just take everything for granted. There's not right. huge inspiration coming from each person. We we just love to go out and play and have fun, but we're just kind of rolling down the road to where you get new musicians, uh, you know, a guy like Chad and Mike jump in there, and all of a sudden I'm going, whoa, you know, there's all these possibilities popping through my head. I get new 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 inspiration and i get very inspired so i got i got excited about that and the second joe and i got together i said oh man i gotta do this it wasn't my plan no but when you feel it going you're going this is an important band the world needs this band right now and i'm not just saying that because i'm in it the world needs this rock and roll world needs this band we are a rock band and we are just on the highest caliber of musicianship the top of our games we're professionals we know what we're doing you throw it all together, and the chemistry takes it to another level, uh, you know, because, you know, the four parts uh, are better than the, the you know, the, the holes better than the individual parts. Well, the individual parts are, are practically, you know, all solo album, uh, solo artist material here, you know, the four of us. Any one of us could do a solo project, you know, uh, but you put the four together, and it is better than even that, and it's unbelievable. I mean, it's, i got to tell you, I'm, I'm, when the world hears this, uh, it's going to turn on its side. Well, you have made some headlines recently. Tell me about this comment that you made earlier this year, that the band could rival Led Zeppelin. Um, well, i got to slip around that because I really didn't say that like that. I was in Toronto. I know exactly what happened. I was doing a tequila <laughs> uh, for, for my for a couple of while, but tequila... We were so just... you're blaming it all on the tequila? 
Oh, absolutely. We were launching <laughs> we were launching the brand in Toronto around a show I was doing there. So I did a, a day, a, a twelve hours of interviews, photo sessions, uh, and I mean it was around the clock. I started at noon and I didn't finish till midnight because. Uh, I, there was so much interest from all over the Canada came flew into Toronto and I did all these press things and interviews and stuff and I started getting buzzed up you know because half <laughs> everybody that came in hey let's do a shot okay well you taste it and I'll just sip it here and give you my comments you know because a lot of it was what about tastings and and stuff and and uh, and I got I gotta tell you straight up man I got fucking ripped and I <laughs> and I just said something stupid but I don't think I said that I think I said this is the kind of band, it's a Led Zeppelin-esque, you know, Van Halen-esque trio front, man. I said, and we can rival the best of them. You know, I, I just threw Led Zeppelin's name in there, and when you put the, the Mighties up in there, and whatever you say within 10 minutes after mentioning that band, you're in trouble. <laughs> but I, I really don't, I can't, oh, God, slap me. Somebody slap, I told Joe, I said, Joe, I'm so enthusiastic about this band. I might have said something, but I don't think I said that. But but I, I was buzzed up, man. What are you going to do? You know, you get get a couple of drinks. You, you, you drink too much Cabo Wabo, and you go out and do an interview <laughs> and see how you do. We, but I uh, am enthusiastic about this band. Yes, I am. And I will stand up and say, okay, I would love for this band to just go out and do a show right now and everybody videotape it and put it up on YouTube and then you tell us how great we are, man, because it's, it's killing this band, man. Even though you have sold a ton of records by yourself and, of course, in Van Halen, there are those, as you Montrose. know... Montrose. Montrose, okay. you know, <laughs> solo, but there are those that never fully accepted you in Van Halen. Did that sting... Well, uh, kind of, yeah. In the early times, we it was so exciting uh, that I ignored it because, you know, we came out, we made a record in 10 days or something, you know, 5150. It was a rocket ship because, you know, Eddie had all that material sitting around that, that they were planning on doing with Dave and never got done. A lot of those songs were Summer Nights and, and um, 5150. No, 5150 came later, but uh, Good Enough. A lot of those songs were, were things that were laying around on cassette tapes, and we put them in, I went, and I didn't, you know, no Dave, but I mean, but just hearing the band, I'm going, wow, man, here, let's work on that, you know. So it, it happened pretty fast, that first record, and we jumped out and went straight to number one, and we and our first show sold out before the album even came out. Sure. So we're going, this is it, you know, this is great. But it seems like as time went by, that's when that stuff started coming in that started, you know, and it would piss me off, I would think, after all the success we've had, how can someone, every time they review our record, they got to mention the past, you know? Like coming around for Unlawful Chronology, which was a great record. I think it's one of the greatest records Van Halen made. You know, and the people start still trying to compare them, going, wait a minute, this is 45 million records, you know, five or six sold-out world tours. How could you even talk about the past? We are a new band. You know, one person, one change in the band makes chemistry different. Right. And... I walked into a band that Eddie had pretty much exhausted his brand new guitar style, which everyone finally heard. It was now it was it was standard. You know, it was no longer. Well, I've never heard anybody play like that before. Now everybody's playing like that. By the time I got in the band, right? So it wasn't this brand new, fresh, you know, young kid thing. We were kind of we were grown ups, and we had all sold millions of records and sold out arenas all around the world. All of us, and me as an individual, we got together on that level, 
and it really didn't deserve to be compared to a bunch of young kids starting out like Van Halen was because that's the most exciting period of anyone's life. So you got to say, oh, well, you know, it's not the same. It wasn't the same. Everyone knew that. But I, you could, you'd never hear David Lee Ross singing right now, writing a lyric like that, or you'd never hear him singing a song like When It's Love. You know, that, that could never have happened before. Those are dreams. Those are great, great songs. And they could have never done that before. And if they would have just kept going, that era of Van Halen would have never happened. So you, you watch. Mark my word. I hate to be a psychic here, but you watch it start biting on them if they continue to try to just go out with Dave and, and, and Wolfie and go out as Van Halen and just play those old songs, there's going to be a, a whiplash that's going to do exactly what happened to me. To them, it's going to be like, well, hey, we'd like to hear right now. We want to hear Dreams. Hey, we want to hear Pound Cake. We want to hear Why Can't This Be Love, you know? We want to hear Finish What You Started, you know? Can't do it. Before we get to some reader questions, are you on friendly terms with David Lee Roth? Because you guys did do the Sam and Dave tour. No, we're not. We're not on any terms. Dave's <laughs> Dave. I'm Sam. You know, and uh, we're, we just uh, we coexist uh, in different worlds. Okay. <laughs> we have a few reader questions for you. A reader named Jane's Eld says, "Will you get in the studio anytime with your son Aaron?" You guys sound amazing together. I guess this reader has you heard know, you play with your son. I would say, yeah, Aaron, he sang on my uh, last record. He sang on Living It Up. He sang Someday with me, and he sang uh, Halfway to Memphis, the backgrounds. He's he's done stuff, uh, backgrounds on, on a few of my CDs. Uh, as far as just getting together and doing a like a duet or something like that, I just don't see time for it. First of all, we're different. We have different musical Case you know, Aaron comes into my world and and works okay in it, but if it's only fair if you're going to do a collaboration with your son or anyone is to split the world down the middle, and my musical tastes and his are different. <laughs> I love the guy; he's extremely talented. It, it, only thing uh, I could say is that Aaron needs to go out and put a band together himself and present himself to the world with his musical style and his voice because he's a good singer and he's a good, great artist. A reader named The Dude 5 says, Hey, Sammy, you are definitely the Cabo man. <laughs> I always wanted to know, what was your wildest experience on the road, and did it involve anyone besides yourself? <laughs> oh, boy. Hmm. Uh, I would certainly hope so. Uh, <laughs> I don't, my private life and stuff that I've done, um, I like to pretty much keep it private, you know, and that's why I've never written a book. Well, I've written a couple books, but they've, I've never let them out because uh, I've got a wild side, and... Uh, that's kind of my own stuff, and, and I don't think people need to know about that. But, yes, it involved myself and a bunch of other people, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> about five of them. Okay. <laughs> a reader named... Or was it six? Oh, no, I think <laughs> A reader named Bog Wapit says, Do you want the studio recordings of the Montrose rehearsals back? What the hell was Ronnie on when he wrote the original Space Station Number 5? <laughs> Ronnie had a a microphone in his mouth uh, <laughs> on the intro of Space Station Number 5, and that, that kind of sounds like whales and stuff. He stuck a microphone in his mouth, goofing off, and it, and it sounded crazy like that. And, uh, you know, it was some frustrated moment, like we were trying to do something, get a sound, and it's the microphone that was on his guitar, I think, and he just said, that, you know, this guitar sounds like crap, and he took a microphone and stuck it in his mouth and started screaming, and we all went, whoa, that sounds out of sight. And we, we ended up putting that on the front of the song. 
actually Ronnie actually wrote the music to the, to the lyrics. I, I had, he was thumbing through my my notebook and he found this lyric, Space Station Number Five. I was really into space songs then, and I still am a little bit, but uh, I was really into him at that point in my life. And he uh, started writing that. I'm going, yeah, you know. So we we Ronnie and I on the first album wrote really well together. It was just real fast, you know. We just He'd look, look through my notebook and say, I like this lyric. I said, okay. <laughs> you know, and he'd start playing a riff, and I'd start singing. It was just that simple. You know, I was naive. I didn't, I had never written songs before. You know, it was my first songs I ever wrote. Bad Motor Scooter, first song I ever wrote, really. I mean, one of the first, for certainly the top first three songs I ever wrote in my life. A reader named Mark Tank says, You've always played Les Paul-style guitars as opposed to Strat styles. I know why I am a dedicated Les Paul player. Why are you? Oh, there's no question about it. I like the necks um, on, a, on, a, on a Les Paul. I like a little bit of a fatter neck style than most strats are, even though some of them aren't. But um, I don't like the curve. I don't like the small frets, even though you can change all that. I don't, the standard strat style and the standard Les Paul, I take a stand on Les Paul, pick it up, and I play it, and I go, this is me. I pick up a strat, it's work. You have to really work harder uh, when you play the guitar like I do anyway, on a strat, and I don't like to work. <laughs> You're supposed to play music; it ain't work. So, and plus, the sound is just so forgiving on Les Paul. You, you know, it's more distorted, powerful, sustainy, big frets. Even though I play a Yamaha, makes me a a wonderful guitar that I use because it fits all my needs. It's got an acoustic pickup in it, and it's got you know active pickups and tone controls and all that. But it's basically feels like a Les Paul. <laughs> <laughs> a reader named Cabo Cat asks, being a sports car lover and collector, do you have any plans to purchase a Tesla Roadster? Not right now, I don't. <laughs> I just purchased a 599 Fiorano, and uh, I get it, I actually get it, I think, to the end of this month. Right, for, I get it for my birthday. I ordered it quite a while back. Oh, my. And I get it for my birthday. And it's it's I can't wait for that car. <laughs> that should satisfy my. That should be my last car I buy. I should say, you know, that's it. There's nothing. You know, it's supposed to be uh, the fastest and the greatest Ferrari ever built. So we'll see. One last question about the new band and the writing. How are you guys going about the writing? Is everybody contributing equally? Well, Joe and I got together, and just the two of us in my studio, we just kind of. I showed him a couple ideas I had, and he showed me a couple ideas he had, and we kind of co-write little uh, skeletons of songs, you know, melody, arrangement, and then we got together and we demoed those out. But since we've all been getting together now, we've also thrown in a couple songs, like the other day we got this one called, I'm calling, I'm calling it Bitten by the Wolf. That's a real bluesy New Orleans kind of uh, swampy uh, Delta blues kind of thing. And the way everyone contributed, it's a co-written song. I mean, so there'll be some songs that are co-written by the whole band, but it's kind of like Joe and I are really the, kind of the writers. But the, when Chad starts playing drums on a song, believe me, he he instantly, that, that foot pattern, man, that he'll come up with is as important as the damn guitar riff, you know? So we, we, we really haven't sorted all that out. We're really not talking any business, but I'm sure there'll be some co-written songs. Joe and I will probably always be the chief writers, you know, the guys that are more prolific songwriters. And uh, I don't know, see how far this band goes, because hopefully, like I said, it all really works and we get a record out next year and go out and do some shows. 
it, it really depends on the chilies right now because Joe, Joe just finished his thing. I'm I'm pretty much finished. I'm going to go out and support this record a little bit. Uh, Cosby Universe Fashion. I'll go out and, and do as many shows as I can uh, until this band starts. But once this band starts, Mike, Joe, and I are ready to go. Let's go. You know, and uh, so it's really up to the chilies, and we're hoping that that you know they're they're having too much fun to get back <laughs> together too soon. You know, a long break. Yeah, they're one of my favorite bands in the world. I would never be responsible for holding you know them up in some record form or going out on tour i love the chili's man they, they're they're just awesome but if they could take a long break that would be okay that yeah, would be awesome you know <laughs> we we joe and i mean uh chad and and uh, mike and i with the original chicken foot we we do give it away man we you know we do all kinds of stuff <laughs> Sammy, thank you very much for talking to me. It's been Brother, a pleasure. You know, when I said I wrote the book, but I never released it, well, I just released a couple chapters. Well, <laughs> maybe we'll have some more uh, in, in the future. This is Joe Basso from Music Radar, the place for music makers, and I've been speaking with Sammy Hagar. Again, Sammy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yes, sir, it has. All right, you take care. Okay, thanks, man. I've got to run because i got a masseuse waiting for me downstairs, oh, and I need it. life is tough. Oh, well, it can be. <laughs> I'll see you, buddy. Take care, man. Bye. All right.